who do you think Bjork prefers, Godsmack or Stained? <laughs> I'd say Stained. Godsmack. Really? <laughs> oh man. I think Stained. Hot Stained is more. Um, it's more um, introspective. Uh, mm. It's a little bit more thoughtful. Stain had two albums out before Vespertine, so there's got to be some. <laughs> there's some stain, <laughs> some inspiration in she's drawing. Yeah, yeah, I could hear it. It's been a while. Someone should make a Godsmack cereal. <laughs> Godsmacks. Yeah, Godsmacks. <laughs> Welcome to the So So Cool Podcast, where we listen to albums we liked when we were younger and see if they're still cool or if they're just so-so. My name is Brandon. I'm Joe. I'm Matthew. And today, we're going to talk about Bjork. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I've heard um, that, well, not only have I heard, but I also checked this on the internet. Because of the umlaut, right? It's like pronounced Bjork. Bjork. Um, But nobody says that, and that would be extremely pretentious. (laughs) So we'll just say Bjork the rest of the time. You will. Okay. I will be strictly referring to her as Bjork. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is a um a big episode for us. It's our first solo artist that we've ever talked about. I think we've only talked about bands. That's true. And I don't think there's a guitar on this album at all. No, I don't think there is. Nor drums. Well, okay. So we're going to we're going to talk about Vespertine. Um what else is going on in people's lives? There's a we had a fire scare this week. It's very, very dry here in New Mexico, and we've got a bunch of wildfires up north. But uh, don't we, we don't know what caused it, but um, we live kind of like our neighborhood's kind of on the edge, um, and it opens up onto state land. And so the sort of backside of the hill that, um, you know, abuts uh, a bunch of my neighbors and I, it, it caught the, the hill caught fire, and so um, it was it was intense for a moment. Is it is it real windy there too? Like, is that it part was, of the problem? Um, thankfully, it's been super windy here. It is. It, so we're up on up, kind of in the foothills, and it gets extremely windy. It can be like, uh, you know, like in the springtime, it can be like forty mile an hour winds with like you know, gusts up to like 60 or 70 miles an hour sometimes. So thankfully, wow. thankfully it was not windy at all. It was like very dead. Um, but if it, if it were windy, it would have been, it would have definitely been a lot worse. Yikes. Windy. Well, glad that you were, you were all right. Windy. Windy. <laughs> <laughs> Lock your doors. Windy's coming. <laughs> Oh my god. The the listener will definitely like if we just make up They'll definitely know <laughs> our 11th grade inside, inside jokes, jokes and then don't explain them. <laughs> All right. Because anything that you want to talk about? Um 
Not really. Today, today so far, it's been pretty good. I uh, got a lot of time with with my sons. Mm. We, uh, my my older son and I, beat the Sonic game we've been playing, and my younger son and I Ooh. played a lot of puppets. He's three, and he loves when I play puppets with him. Nice. So it actually is kind of rough on my voice because of all of the all of the Mickey characters that I have to do. Mm. And he never wants me to stop, so I'm a little hoarse today. Yeah. Again, again. <laughs> yeah. 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 Ever since uh, this week, I initiated the puppet play. He every every free second is let's play puppets. It's like oh, I can't. So I have to break his heart. My daughter, because I'm a sucker. And I'll say, I'll say, okay, last time, like this is the last time I'm reading this story or the last time I'm doing this game. And she always convinces me to do it one more time each time. She now thinks that yeah. last time is how you request more. So oh, that's <laughs> funny. She's like, last time, last time. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so we're talking about Vespertine. Um, which, yeah, I think is my favorite Bjork album. But we could talk about a little bit of background about Bjork. Icelandic, as I'm sure everybody right. knows. Born November 21st, 1965. Yeah, so we were really into it. So I think Matt and I were really into um, Bjork and some of our other friend friend group, other people in our friend group and band. Um Brandon, you you less so. What was your uh, impression when we were Bjork super fans, like around two thousand three ish, four, you know that kind of time? Like probably like for me, I think it started a little bit toward the end of high school, but really like was in full bloom by like after maybe a year or two after that, like early college years. What what was your impression? Well, I remember that Groovis, who we will have already done our podcast about Grimace. Yeah. They they had covered Bjork and we knew that they really liked Bjork. Mm-hmm. Um and I you guys had gotten really into Bjork. But Bjork for me is a little bit like a magic eye that I desperately want to see what the fuss is all about and it and it just takes me a lot. Like I it's not as doesn't come as easily to me. I don't uh I don't really see the same excitement with Bjork Mm -hmm. I like post quite a bit and I liked homogenic I had never listened to Vespertine prior to this week Mm -hmm. but yeah uh I remember we we covered one of her songs which was my favorite memory of Bjork music for sure uh our band you know when you guys brought it up I was a little bit nervous because I was gonna have to be singing Bjork (laughs) I was like how's this gonna go um but I also remember that another one that was being bandied about as a possibility was If I Were a Rich Girl by Gwen Stefani. And I knew I didn't want to do that one. <laughs> oh, I don't remember that at all. No, no, I don't remember that. I remember Nick talking about that oh. in enough of a serious way that I was like, I, I really don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess it was probably popular. At that. It was probably current, right? Yeah. It was current. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but we decided to do Hunter, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that might have been at the apex of when I was into Bjork, uh, mm-hmm. 
getting into that song and, and that album a little bit. I'm a very, very casual fan and not really a listener very often, mm-hmm. but... Um, I think we should um, play a bit of our cover. did it um before 30 seconds to mars or before we heard we were aware of 30 seconds to mars covering it i don't know when theirs came. i'm pretty sure it was before 30 seconds to mars covered it yeah and also this was where i learned the phrase you sussed it out to suss something out Mm -hmm. i use that phrase yeah um so there you go um so you learned something from bjork as well um i think that was a good that was a really good choice. Um, it was a good song to cover, and it was enough. I think it's a good song, but not distinctly. I mean, some of Bjork's stuff, like if you tried to sing it, it would just be like weird. But it it had enough of a genericness to it that like it it worked for you. Um, but like, yeah, her her singing normally is so distinct that it would be very, it would be weird. So I thought. I thought that was a really good cover, and I enjoyed playing it. Um, it was a bit boring for me. Basically, two notes. <laughs> yeah, it's two notes. I would say that adapting that song cover-wise is is definitely the most interesting thing we ever did. Like when we played "Cake," when we played "The Distance," that was also a really good cover. That we did it really well, but it it was basically exact, exactly the same. Whereas by the time we put hunter into our instrumentation and then like we could get way more intense and rocking toward the Mm -hmm. end it really came out uh with our own stamp on it i'd say yeah so yeah that was very kind of helps to do a cover if you want to make it your own starting from a cover that doesn't have any of the instruments that you have um (laughs) yeah is a good start yeah so that's a very good point what about you, Matt? When when did you start getting into Bjork? Bjork? I don't know when. Probably around late high school, early college. Okay. Sounds about right. This album also was my favorite um, mm-hmm. around that time, uh, around the early 2000s. Um, I loved Post, love Homogenic. Um, I love the Sugar Cubes. Um but for me, I remember seeing Dancer in the Dark and um, just loving how Bjork played with found sounds and creating a world and a, like a soundscape from just real world sounds. And I remember really like at the same time, there was also this um, duo called The Books that mm-hmm. did a lot of found sound stuff. And so this album in particular... I just I remember just loving um 
overall just the textures and um it's a really intimate album and i think that was part of bjork's intention wanted it to wanted a really intimate domestic kind of um glimpse into new love um this album was written around the start of her relationship with matthew barney and i do remember just like feeling like this album you could i remember this album it's not like a thing that i would want to put on kind of in the background it was something that i like if i had to do like a late night drive there were a lot of times where i'd have to drive from new york back to pennsylvania and it's like a four-hour ride and sometimes have to do it late at night and this was the kind of album that just like put it on and it just kind of turned the music up really loud and just let yourself kind of fall into into the world that she creates I just remember really like that for me, I remember this album in particular being really, really into, into it and, um, just really trying to dig into all the, all the layers of it. So one thing I noticed this week as I was listening to it again, um, is there's so much going on when you pay attention to it, um, that maybe you wouldn't hear if you're just listening to it in the background, like all of the layers of like the glitchy um, beats and like the found sound, like you were saying some, a lot of times there's just like rattling. There's just kind of, there's just all sorts of stuff going on sonically that like is not right there at the forefront that you would immediately hear. And it's really um, enjoyable to listen to like with headphones and like really paying attention because there's so much stuff. Yeah, actually I started this week trying to listen to this album, like on my way to pick up the kids from school or like while doing other things. And it's an album that you can kind of lose track of it if you listen to it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had to, I had to like sit down and do, I was like, I need to just sit down and put headphones on and, um, sit alone for, you know, an hour and listen to it. Um, cause yeah, it is, it is, especially a lot of the sounds are very higher end of the spectrum. There's a lot of like crackling noises and things like that, which apparently was intended because this, this album came out at the height of Napster and digital downloads, um, and like pirating quote unquote. Um, and I re- and I I do remember reading that uh, her intent was for this album sonically to hold up at lower bit rates. So if you converted these to MP3s and then downloaded them from from torrent, it would um, it would hold up in a and not sound degraded. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah, I read that as well. Um, yeah, I think that's super interesting. Um. Just like additional background, I guess we could talk about is just very, you mentioned the sugar cubes. So the sugar, sugar cubes were active from 86 to 92. And that was an Icelandic band that Bjork was the lead singer of. Um, and they had, they were somewhat popular. I mean, they played on SNL. Um, they were kind of like an, um, popular underground kind of band. Um, I think they got like some MTV like punk band. Yeah. Some sort of M- some like MTV airplay a little bit. Um, I think like birthday, that song was 
um, like a hit, um, moderate hit. I thought that this song hit was interesting. Um, I was listening to some of uh, their stuff on Spotify and um, it sounds like um, a James Bond song or something. I don't know if you want to listen to it. Is this a sugar cube song? Yeah. I think it was like one of their somewhat popular ones. Um, but it has this melody in it that seems like very James Bondy or Mission Impossible-y or something. Which, you, birthday or hit? No, it's called Hit. I like this song. That is not what I expected that to sound like. What did you expect? That sounded like that sounded like 1990 pop there for a minute. Yeah, I mean that like, song came out in 91, so. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That the sounds of that, I was just like, <laughs> "Whoa, is this Paula Abdul?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was, but yeah. I mean, you can kind of see the the um, beginning of the trajectory. I think even that stuff, the Sugar Cube stuff, I just like love listening to Bjork sing, um, and it's cool. I, I enjoy it. I mean, um, I didn't listen to it at the time, like when we were getting when we were. By at the time, I mean, when we were getting into Bjork, I never listened to Sugar Cubes. But um, yeah, I think it's pretty cool. Um, and then in 92, she went solo. Her first album was it came out in 93, debut. Um, she had like a moderate hit with Human Behavior, which was had a video directed by Michelle Gondry. Um, and she did a bunch of videos with Michelle Gondry and um, also Spike Jones and she's just you know in the 90s had like a ton of super cool popular videos that she kind of became known for i didn't listen to bjork but i was pretty aware of her she was a giant star in the 90s yes uh well i think yeah debut and then post and homogenic i think the um you know reading about it this week i was saying before i think we started recording i thought of vespertine as like sort of her apex but um, because I love the album and because it was probably when I, I started to get into her like a little bit after Vespertine came out. But um, yeah, reading the contemporary contemporary stuff, it seemed like she had debut, which was moderately popular, post, which was huge. And then because that was so huge, Homogenic had a ton of anticipation and people loved it, like critics and stuff, and it sold really well. Um, and then there was a little bit of a letdown with Vespertine, it seemed, from some people. And I don't think it went um, gold. Um, and her previous albums had been like gone platinum and stuff. So, um, oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, this definitely feels like, you know, the Selma songs and this, and then Medulla followed Vespertine. It feels like really 
a lot of exploration uh -huh. in sound. Yeah. I think um, homogenic and post um, have a bit more of a a clubby vibe, and they they definitely are a little bit more pop. I don't know that there's anything on this album that, like, I'm sure it was sort of hard to figure out exactly what would be a single off of this album. And, um, cause it's a lot more, it feels like a lot more of an art album. Yeah. When did Medulla come out? 2003? Was it 04? Uh, three maybe. seems right. Three or four. Three. Cause I, I yeah. remember being excited about that one. Like that one came out, I think when we were, into her enough and the fact that mike Patton was on that album we were yeah. like really excited mm -hmm. oh, you're right 2004 that. okay yeah and uh listening back on it now it's i wasn't quite as into it as i th think i was at first medulla mm -hmm. um but uh i remember at the time just being like oh this is so cool mike Patton is on the new bjork and yeah. Mazel. i mean it was yeah that was yeah. and it was iconic because it was all acapella and mm -hmm. or predominantly yeah that was a that was a very different album than vespertine yeah um <laughs> yeah i just think it it kind of to me i can see with medulla people being like ah oh, this is this is a little weird it's obviously like an experiment to do something with like that with all vocals I, was, I mean, I feel like Vespertine was just a different kind of like exploration of um, household objects. I mean, there's like mm -hmm. the music boxes, there's like crackling ice, there's mm -hmm. shuffling cards. There's like a lot of things that are like, let's try to play with objects and create beats out of those sounds. And I think that's something that was, uh, there are a lot of electronic artists doing a lot of this sort of thing in the late 90s and a couple of them collaborated on this album in particular but i think in the same way that medulla was an exploration of like what can i do with the human voice this album was like an exploration of what can i do with interesting textures and uh, i think what she called microbeats. so when i listen to this i feel like it seems ahead of its time but I also have very little context for what electronic music sounded like prior to this. And other than like craft work, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, which so what I would say is, does it sound ahead of its time to you guys? Or was this kind of stuff sort of being explored by a bunch of different kind of artists? And I mean, I, I, I think what Bjork, does really really well is she takes a lot of the experimental art stuff that's happening concurrently and a lot of um, things you might not get exposed to in the pop world and brings them into that space and adds her sort of um, her vocals and like her her artistic perspective on top of it so I I think there's a lot of like um, there's a lot of electronic music from this era that this sounds very similar to me but it's that Bjork kind of brings in um, her unique perspective and voice and um, just the sort of construction of the of um, 
the overall arc and story and um, the space she's trying to create, it feels very uniquely and wholly Bjork. But I do feel like there are a lot of parallels in the sort of soundscapes that are being created that are happening in electronic music. Um, this seems relevant, so I'll just share that I pulled um, some review excerpts and um, the knock that at least at least pitchfork had was was um that her previous albums did sound like something new and different and that this one doesn't um so there's this the this excerpt i pulled rather than designing sounds never before imagined the album merely sounds current relying on the technology of standard studio software and explorations of the power book elite there are few surprises here for the bjork fan and fewer for the electro aficionado. So okay. yeah, basically saying, you know, it sounds like if you're really into electronic music, this is not going to blow your mind, which makes sense. Like what you were saying, Matt, this is more taking Bjork's perspective, putting it in a pop milieu kind of. Um, so that sort of makes sense. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. And I I had never heard um, uh, I had never listened to Opiate, um, who go, Thomas Nack's um, pseudonym for his work. Um, I had never heard him before, but I did listen to his 1999 album Objects for an Ideal Home um, when I saw that he collaborated on this. And you can hear a lot of the he, that album explores a lot of textural rhythms and really wide audio spectrums like a lot of extremely low low end and really high high end crackling and i think you can hear a lot of that kind of come through in uh, in vespertine i think that what you're saying matt Matt, and that review for me it's like this wasn't my um electronic music music wasn't really my bread and butter and isn't um so for me it was uh I have been in to Bjork um, and this is kind of, um, I don't know, it, it sounds new and interesting to me. And I think that's kind of where her appeal is, is it's for probably not for, I mean, people, electronic music heads, I'm sure many of them enjoy Bjork, but um, it's like a new sound maybe to people who aren't in that world. Yeah, I think like yeah, I I also I think for me this was well Selma songs and Vespertine which both explore found sounds and recorded objects. Um there was sort of a first that was my sort of introduction to that. I think it was the opposite for me like I um it wasn't that I was in on well, up <laughs> similar to you. I wasn't yeah. into electronic music at the time. Um mm-hmm. but I did get into electronic music after this and this for me I feel like was a little bit of a gateway into that um I just remember like listening to Selma songs and being like oh my god like taking the sound of a sneaker squeaking on a floor and like turning that into a beat was so cool and hearing like that extension on Vespertine with like a little bit more abstracted and processed um I found really really cool and I think I then that was sort of, I don't remember what the order was, but I did get into artists like the books, 
um, who do a lot of that kind of thing too. Um, I feel like this sound has become way more mainstream over the 15 years after this album came out um, to the point where there are things about Bjork that I'm like, that kind of became the mainstream uh, for a period there where like, and, and not just the sound, but like the artistic, uh, the artistic stage craft, um, like with Lady Gaga and Katy Perry. Like I remember watching the Grammys around like, I don't, I don't know, 2012 and being like, everybody's trying to out stage artistically outstage each other. And it has less to do <laughs> with the actual music anymore. Um, and the music started becoming a little bit more like this. And uh, <clears throat> so in that way is, I think, why I said I feel like she's ahead of her time. Because when I listen to this, I'm like, oh, this became more more stuff that was in the mainstream quite a bit down the road and still is now. Ahead of her time or even I would I would probably say a catalyst. I mean... Bjork was hugely mm-hmm. popular at this time, so I wouldn't doubt that a lot of music that came after this was influenced by the stuff she was doing. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about this last night too, the the swan dress and how that was such a, a huge deal. Um Yeah. <laughs> and, and that happened this the same year that Vespertine came out. Yeah, the, she's wearing it. The, Isn't she wearing it on, on the, the cover? cover? Yeah, but I was just thinking about kind of like what you're saying, Brandon. Like people were so, um, I don't know. It's like weird to think about how freaked out people got about that, and then like things now, like it just seems like the boundary has been pushed so far. Um, it's almost bizarre and hard to put yourself in the headspace the dress looks very normal normal <laughs> it's like yeah it does um and, and you know like i remember it's been a long time now but like didn't lady gaga wear like a rotten meat dress or something yeah um, and it just it, when you look back at that time and the stuff people freaked out about um it just think things have changed a lot. I don't know. It. Mm-hmm. Fun fact: my daughter's first, uh, well, she was was her technically her second Halloween costume, um, but the first one that she was able to like participate in, uh huh, trick or treat was the swan dress. Oh, that's cool. Oh, okay. Send you <laughs> some photos. Um, the swan dress was like a big deal, which seems really weird and hindsight mm-hmm. um but also the music video for pagan poetry mm. um i don't actually know do do either of you know if it was aired in the u.s i would imagine not or I heavily edited i doubt it was on TV. i haven't watched it in years what's the uh what is the deal there's nudity okay in it. there yeah there she's um wearing a dress that really only covers the bottom part of her body in part of it and a lot of the um, the imagery, it's highly, highly stylized, so you can't really tell what it is, but it's um, it's footage of her like piercing. Well, there's footage of her of her piercing doing a corset 
piercing. Mm-hmm. And um, then there's like sex acts that were filmed um, and then stylized. So uh, I can't really tell that's what it is, but um, but I imagine that would have caused some kerfuffle in uh, in American pop culture at the time. I was fully aware of the swan dress, but I, I guess it was like People Magazine and stuff like that, like in a pre-meme world. It was, I guess, like Entertainment Tonight. Joan Rivers, stuff like this is Joan who, Rivers said that she should be put in an asylum, or something oh like that. Word. for wearing that. She, yeah, um, was she serious I mean, though? It I wasn't mean, like a, was it wasn't like, a real. Well, it wasn't a real animal, correct? No. no, 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 it was not. Then why why would it be an issue? I think. Um, well, it was Joan Rivers, so she's a comedian. Obviously, she didn't seriously yeah. think that she was insane. But she was, yeah. like, like if you remember back when we were in high school, there were, like, those red carpet shows, and they would be, like, super critical of the way people dressed. I mean, they still do this, but it's more like Us are, Weekly yeah. and, you know, uh, magazines, and I'm sure there's stuff all over the internet. It's just not our world anymore. But back then, you know, it was on TV. Right. So, like, you would see it. Um so I think it was probably, yeah, like People Magazine, Us Weekly, um, E, the E Network. Um, yeah. The, yeah, they were like, <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, yeah, it's very odd. Even Jay Leno. I, guess, I mean, 2000, 2001 is like the beginnings of uh, viral memes on the internet. So. Yeah, and yeah. I think um, the other thing I was, yeah, they there were, there's like the Kristen Wiig impression which was later but i think um there were other um i think like winona Ryder did a bjork impression on snl maybe around this time and um i don't know i just feel like people are a little bit at least in mainstream comedy and entertainment world there's more like oh this person is doing something like artistic or they're doing something different. They're doing something for this certain effect or they're trying to be provocative or whatever. Whereas at the time then I think it was more just like, Oh, this person's crazy. Like the, I don't know. It just yeah. seems like things have changed a lot. I mean, this was like the era of shot comedy and like Eminem. Uh, I think there was like a little bit of that element of like, Yeah. Well, super. Okay. That's all super interesting. I think we can jump into the album um, in a sec. I just, I thought, you know, that Pitchfork um, review, which was somewhat negative, um, was interesting because I said earlier, and I don't know if we had it recorded, but um, Pitchfork really thought homogenic. The album before this was like her masterpiece and gave it a 10. Which is kind of surprising to me because, to me, Homogenic is great. I really like it. It is way more accessible. Um, this yeah. seems like more of a, um, um ambitious kind of um, album. Um, maybe that's part of the reason why it falls flat for some people because it is a little different and maybe takes a little bit more attention. Um, I don't know. But I thought that was surprising. Um but there were definitely a lot of 
album uh a lot of reviews that that thought this album was great so i just pulled like the rolling stone um they talk about before this um excerpt that i'm going to read some of her previous albums that are kind of more um a little bit more all over the place and they say vespertine is a particle beam in comparison as weightless as light but concentrated with direction uh there is nothing remotely close to drumming on any of the album's 12 tracks the flurry of rhythms of rhythm at the start of cocoon has the gravity of a spider scurrying across linoleum the electronic beats running under the glassy ballad it's not up to you are mostly drips and squishes um and it kind of goes on from there but it it's it's generally like very positive and just talking about how all these found sounds um just create like a, a really interesting um sonic quality and how unique it is i saw that rolling stone ranked the album as number 16 on their list of the 50 coolest albums of all time that was in 2002 yeah rolling stone seems to like this album more than uh, pitchfork i don't <laughs> yeah i don't know why um but anyway i i shared this video um where bjork was on the tonight show and it was really funny to me she played cocoon which we'll hear but like Cocoon, of all the songs, that was the first single off of this album. Um, that is so weird yeah, to me. Yeah, before Pagan Poetry, which I think Pagan Poetry is a little bit more like, a little bit more mass, has a little bit more mass appeal to me. I don't know. Um, and I think Hidden Place was also a single, which to me is probably the most ma- mass appeal poppy song. Anyway, it was... I think the most... Uh obvious single was not a single but we'll talk about it when we get there it's not up to you but i think there's one that's an unison, obvious uh, yeah. unison is also a little bit yeah anyway yeah it it's not up to you is like how was this not the lead yeah. single? but anyway it's it was just a funny little encapsulation of late 2001 because it had um the peacock logo was an american flag it was right after 9 11 um mm-hmm. she performed this song on the tonight show and people were really excited about it like they were like super pumped i don't know if the people that came were specifically bjork fans and the guests (laughs) the guests with her were bill (laughs) o'reilly and kevin spacey so just good times (laughs) Uh, yeah and jay leno bill o'reilly and kevin spacey according to the laws of three law law of threes is bjork next to be canceled is that the oh no (laughs) yeah yeah possibly probably jay it'd probably be jay of Of the four (laughs) i think jay is much more kevin eubanks maybe (laughs) (laughs) were you just gonna say like it's so weird to think of a time when Jay Leno was the Tonight Show host and that he was not like, just that, but also like if I think of the the late night host today interviewing Bjork. Yeah. You know, you're like, OK, maybe that could could work. But like Jay Leno interviewing Bjork, it just seems like it's like it might as well be my dad interviewing Bjork. It's very bizarre. <laughs> right. It was a little cringy. Yeah. I saw an even cringier thing of her being interviewed on MTV where they were like playing a game and they were asking her these really like 
either stupid or overly intimate questions. Uh-huh. Um, I, I don't think people know how to interview her. Yeah. She's just, <laughs> she's, she marches to the beat of her own drummer and uh, she doesn't connect real well to the TV personality types. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you want to kick it with Hidden Place? Yeah. Let's kick it Bjork style. Do it. I love this loop. Yeah. What do you think of Hidden Place? I don't like the way she says the second. Place. <laughs> that is the only part of the song that bums me out. <laughs> Every time it comes around, I'm like, I don't like how she says that. <laughs> what is it about it? <laughs> but it's... Place. I don't know. It just... I've got the... The way she says it is, uh, like... <laughs> not yeah. my favorite. But I really like the loop that starts the album. I really think that's Very cool. cool. It's really cool. And everything just, it's a thing where like, that's sort of, it's just <laughs> baseline, but uh, not with two S's. Um, it's just like the, it just uh-huh. forms the foundation for the whole song and everything just builds on top of it and like deconstructs and builds back. And it's just, it's really cool how something like, you know, a two bar loop can just be that effective. Yep. You said baseline, but not with two S's. Yeah, like a like baseline. B A S E. Got it. Got it. Okay, I was confused. Um, because I like the baseline. <laughs> <laughs> the baseline's good. I just meant the loop forms like I guess foundation is a better. Yeah, it's better it's a really good opener. I think. Um, I think I don't know. It's obvious, but we didn't really talk about much. Just um the expressiveness that she sings with and the, um, you know, her singing really is like an instrument and that she can, she changes the way she sings a lot for like different songs. And I mean, the next one's a really good example of it, but yeah, I mean, it's just a really solid track that I enjoy. It's got a good groove. It's good stuff. Yeah. I, I think that's a good way to, um, think of this album in general is it creates so much space for her to just express herself vocally. There's just a lot, a lot of room for her to, you know, unlike, you know, sort of a regular pop song construction, you might be a little bit more boxed in, in terms of what you can 
do. Um, she's a lot more virtuosic on a lot of these songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes in a really subtle way, but she, um, you know, holds things over the bar lines and like really plays with timing and, uh, yeah. And the next, like we'll talk about it in the next song, like what she does with textures of the voice. It's really cool. You want to listen to Cocoon? Yeah, let's go for it. And this was the first single. And played on Jay Leno. This is a Leno banger for sure. (laughs) Literal banger. Just the texture created there with creating the rhythm, all those processed sounds and the mm-hmm. that's so cool. And then the like how cl- closely they and hot the mic is, mm-hmm. um, you can just like hear the breathiness. Um, I feel like this song. It's really interesting that this is following hidden places. Because it metaphorically feels like you've arrived at that hidden place where it's it, you feel it feels very very intimate. It feels like you're sort of like you're alone with another person that you're you know experiencing this moment of like of new love, and it's just it has this quality of like you're sort of like under the covers together just like talking, and it's I don't know. There's something really effective about it in that way, where the sort of hot mic. Um, and how close it is and capturing like all the nuance of her breath plus the sort of space that the texture gives and that just very very simple synth line yeah yeah I think the um, vocal quality and the way it's recorded like matches the lyrics extremely well like it's really effective and expressive it is interesting that this is the choice I mean Again, sort of like the provocativeness of the lyrics here. Mm-hmm. Interesting that this was the sort of choice for the first single. Yeah, it kind of really highlights how not American she is. <laughs> this would never have been the first single if she was an American artist because that wouldn't fly here. <laughs> yeah, I think it also highlights, and maybe they're related, but how she kind of just doesn't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, I think yeah. she's just like, like you were saying, Matt, this album is about a new relationship. And I think this song is obviously very um, reflective of the overall um, kind of content or inspiration of the album. And it seems like while sonically it doesn't seem like a single, you could see the logic of like this is the sort of 
statement of purpose or something like this is what the album's really about um yeah. and just saying well i'm gonna release this because this is the most this really encapsulates the album the best um yeah from a content perspective like the sound the the way it it highlights um it has the most like um i don't know like glitchy um mm-hmm. sound like the beat has that is like that very glitchy unique kind of sound to it the intimacy of the recording and the lyrics all together are kind of like this is um what's unique about this album so it's a cool choice um but yeah i don't think it got a lot of play Yeah, there's a there's a moment at three minutes I would love to listen to if we can. Let's do it. I think this 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 really captures like the rawness and subtlety of of her voice. Um, and it's just for me, I, I just remember listening to this song and thinking it was just the vocals were so cool. You can even hear the the mic clips a little bit at that moment. <laughs> it's just so mm. cool to like leave that in. Um, yeah. Also, this song is about a dude whose pullout game is not strong. <laughs> He's. I mean, he leaves yeah. it in for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Rookie move. Um, I I honestly, when I hear that last part that you played, I think I think it's is like simulating orgasm. That's what I took it as, a little bit. I mean, it, yeah, the the whole song is just so so intimate. Yeah, for sure. And and I think that's I think I agree with you, Joe. This song does feel sort of like the um. You said thesis, which I think is a really interesting way to to frame it. Like, I don't think I did. But she's good word. You didn't. What'd you say? <laughs> I think I said like statement of purpose. Statement of purpose. Well, the yeah. thesis too. Like it's um, this yeah. song is like she's. It's called cocoon, and clearly it's like about that sort of feeling of closeness with somebody, um, intimately, and you get to sort of be in there in that world too. It's like she's inviting you into this really, really, um, really personal, uh, intimate space. Um, and it, it feels like you're kind of getting a sense of that. And I, I feel like this whole album is, it's sort of, that's what it's trying to do is to kind of bring you into what it feels like, what are the emotional highs, lows, um, and the ups and downs of like new love feels like. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty shockingly exposed song. Uh-huh. Like the well, the first time I listened to this, I was just like, "Whoa, this is uh, th- you don't hear songs that are this openly exposed very often and raw." Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And j- so many jizz references. <laughs> <laughs> you hear some of those, but um, um, not done this elegantly. I know. Yeah. Um, Keep it in highbrow. <laughs> Keep it in highbrow. I think in this song, too, it's like uh, up to this point, um, like in her catalog, I feel like this is kind of most distinctly Bjorky song. I don't think anyone else could have done could do this. It's hard to imagine someone else doing something like this. Um, mm. And her earlier stuff, very unique and distinct, but it's more accessible and you know, like we talked about, kind of like dance and um, influenced by like dance and electronic music of the time. Especially the especially the late '90s, early 2000s. Every in pop music, things were so heavily processed and produced and mm-hmm. um, you know it's like the age of like cut and paste the perfect four bars of the drums and um, like make sure everything sounds absolutely perfect and so to sort of have a song like this that like leaving in the subtleties and the um, and like the mic clipping and mm-hmm. it just feels like is sort of anti the the sound of the of the day yeah is this the song where i didn't write it down but there's this part where that almost sounds like a mistake where she goes like ah, ah, and then she comes in <laughs> i was like that's interesting that they left that in uh i mean it, it feels it feels like it belongs on this record to leave in like a like like she was gonna make an entrance and then it's just like ah, i mean now i come in it's it <laughs> It's interesting, especially following this with Medulla, where a lot of that record is playing with the different types of sounds you can create, like those glottal sounds and the raspy, like playing around with like, well, what if I just take a raspy voice and just turn that into a texture? Um, And I guess you can kind of hear maybe the beginnings of that experimentation here. Yeah. Yeah. You wonder if that was intentional. Because it sounds so unintentional, but you want... I was like, huh, I wonder if that was something she meant to do. Good question. I always took it... I always read it as, like, intentionally bringing, like, a raw voice to it. I don't know if the sound coming out was intentional, but... Yeah. I would think it would have to be. I mean, there's so much um, thought put into this, to the music that, you know... I don't. I don't think she listened to it. She's just like, that's probably yeah. good enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is one of those records that you do like in a day, and then you know, just yeah. slap a slap a picture on the cover. You just take your zoobs, <laughs> cough drops, and your drink your warm milk and just sing it. <laughs> yeah, no, I think. Um, <laughs> From what I read, it was this year. This was like three years in the making. This album. So. Wow. Homogenic came out in '97. This was 2001. So, and she was making it during "Dancer in the Dark" stuff. So that kind of makes sense. Shall we move on to B Kiz's favorite tune? I didn't say that, <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> I didn't say it. Okay. But it's true. Well, 
I've got the controls here, so it's not up to you. <laughs> it's not up to you. Squish, squish, squish. <laughs> yeah, this squishy stuff is cool. <laughs> I wake up and the day feels broken. I tilt my This is the first This is the first tune we hear like clavichord, harp, strings, the celeste. Which is just so cool with like how lo-fi the backing beat is, mm -hmm. and then you put like these sort of early music instrumentation on top is really yeah, it's really cool juxtaposition. She hangs on that anyway. Um, I thought listening to this through the point you made, Matt, about like throughout the album, the the um, contrast of like all these super glitchy, like like computery, but like um, yeah, like you said, lo-fi sounds with all these like classic instrumentation is really cool and and she does that like throughout the album um i want to emphasize that yeah. point uh and i from what i read like a lot of the early music instrumentation arrangement was um part of guy sigsworth uh part of his uh contribution to the album is i think he even played harpsichord on or is that did he play harpsichord on homogenic? I can't remember. I don't know. But yeah, that's something that she does. She does particularly well on this. I think like the lo-fi electronica, mm -hmm. heavily processed, uh, glitchy textures with harp, and then these just really silky strings um, in the chorus. I feel like the chorus of this is so catchy. Yeah, and to me it <laughs> it does feel single worthy and surprised that it wasn't. Um, it does feel like mm -hmm. this song to me just feels like, especially when you get to the chorus, it just feels like I'm being sort of swept into this other world, and like in the same way being you know sort of swept off your feet for your feelings for another person. It just feels really beautiful, and you. Mm -hmm. And like that moment of like, I have all these really amazing, intense feelings and I can't control it, but why would I want to control it? It's, um, it feels so amazing. Um, which leads me to the coda of the song, uh, around four thirty, which we can listen to where she just says like, 
this thing that there's so much pressure. Like once you feel that amazing feeling of love, then a, then you also have this pressure to like make sure you always continue to have that feeling, and it's it's an intense amount of of pressure or expectation, which is really really yeah, cool. I, I noted like three thirty to the end on this, but um, there's a long coda, so outro. So maybe yeah. Well, there's the outro, and then there's the the coda at four thirty, which it's like the song kind of feels done. And then there's this like addendum at 4:30 ish. Okay. Um, let's listen to. Well, tacking on to what Matt said, though, that's kind of similar to what I was going to say. Um, is that this one? I, I wrote down that there are times on this album that it kind of just feels like a magical from the from the music, and almost like almost like a Disney movie because <laughs> of the harps and the and the. orchestral arrangement it's like ooh, like we're this is a very very uh beautiful lush magical sounding Mm -hmm. sound and uh yeah yeah this is this is really a very cool song i like it a lot let's listen to the bit at 330 I just like all the layered vocals. That reminds me of You Can't Always Get What You Want. Yeah, I was going to say, it has a little bit of a Stones feel to it. But I I got sad when they pulled the bass out. I was really enjoying the bass part. Guy Sigsworth played clavichord, clavichord on the album. And Celeste. So this is the little addendum at the end. Yeah. That's cool. I never made really the lyrical um, connection or the, you know, the connection of like the lyrics and the sound between the first part and the um, end part. Yeah, she says, um, there's too much clinging to peak. There's too much pressure. Mm. Uh, And it's really, Mm. it's like after you come off of this amazing high with the chorus and it's just like this beautiful soundscape and then then they, um, the way that the vocals are processed, it sounds kind of like, you know, you're listen, listening to her through a speaker kind of off in the distance. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, there's too much pressure to stay clinging to this feeling. Yeah, really cool, really effective. All right, let's listen to Undo, which this one was always, I think, one of my favorites, if I remember correctly. Hey. 
there's a lot going on that I think this is one that I feel like it gets better the more you pay attention to it and the more you like lock in because there's there's just a ton yeah. in the beat and um, there's so many layers and sounds. Um, it's really fascinating. Yeah, I could be I could be projecting. Um, this may not have been the intention, but like um, in a lot of pop music, and I think this was like a, a technique that the I don't know if the Beatles uh, came up with it or, or whatever, but a lot of pop music you double you double your lead vocals so that they sound and you pan them slightly so that they sound a bit thicker and more frontal. Um, and what's really cool about this is the vocals are doubled, but they're almost purposefully sang not exactly the same way. So you can hear, especially in that opening line, you can hear where one voice like ends the line and the other one's like hanging on still. And so you have this like really haunting feeling where there's like two voices happening at the same time, but they kind of are meant to be in tension. And then the lyrics later, it's kind of like she's having this internal dialogue with her own self. Mm. And so the doubled vocals that are kind of in tension with one another, like adds to that feeling of like, oh, there's this like internal feeling of like trying to talk yourself through something and having this like um, this in internal conversation. And I love how you get that by just removing everything else. It's just there's this little backbeat with the drums um, the textures and the like harp just kind of fades in and out and it gives like a lot of space for the vocals to do some really really interesting things but you it is a song that like again this is not something like you put it on while you're like doing the uh -huh. dishes or something because <laughs> you'll lose a lot of that nuance that you get and it like yeah. really feels like you kind of have to listen to it um yeah very interesting observation I'm kind of dumb, so I didn't think about that. I just, <laughs> <laughs> I just like the way it sounds. Um, well, no, yeah, it's, it's yeah. no. I think that that makes sense. It's this is another one that it kind of establishes the foundation, and then there's like an extended ending part that is really um, that like builds. And I I marked three thirty, um, where I got like really excited listening to this last night.
Yeah, I love this outro. It's yeah. really pretty. And this is this is one that is the writing credit um, is uh, given to Bjork and Thomas Knack, who is uh, goes under the pseudonym Opiate. Interesting. And, uh, I love the like fri- fragility and vulnerability, and like the way she's some of the at the very end vocals that come in and um yeah what do you think kizzy pretty badass (laughs) (laughs) fucking cool brother (laughs) uh i might be a little bit tired and i mean uh uh quiet during this album oh come on just because i don't i don't have a lot of feelings and I tend to get a little bit bored. Okay. Hot take Jake over here. Yeah. I get bored. Okay. Um, there's not... And one thing I will say that is a valid criticism, I think, is there's uh, there's not a lot of variation of the instruments, which mm-hmm. tends to be part of what... It starts to all sound the same to me after a while. So at this point, this is a bit of a lull for me, okay. this one. <sighs> Fine. Uh, let's play the next song. <laughs> Just kidding. No, I like it. I like to get some yeah, hot no, takes I, in here. But I think I think that makes sense as to what song comes after that. I think they probably sense that, you know, from Cocoon up until here, mm-hmm. it's a lot of sort of just... Um, feelings of euphoria and and like magical space and so i think i think you're right that at this point like the album needs to sort of break that feeling um yeah and let's do it yeah some pagan poetry let's do it having talked about hunter this one kind of reminds me a little bit of yeah hunter what's going on i don't know why i didn't advocate for this one it'd be fun to play yeah it's a yeah, we would have we would have done very similar things with this one yeah. and it would have been pretty cool yeah has it the same sort of like plotting baseline mm-hmm this song definitely goes out to all you meatheads. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, as meatheady as Bjork could get, I think, at least on this album. Um, yeah, I, I put that down. The bass synthy kind of sound is really nice. Um, there's like four different parts that I time stamped that I kind of wanted to listen to. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we want to jump around. 
Yeah, let's do um, it. I jump around. I um, <laughs> I love jump around. Is this the this is the first song that has the music boxes? I think from what I read that she had some music boxes created for this album. Yeah, that's what I heard. And, that's what I read as well. And I always loved the music box sound on this because it's like really virtuosic. Um, mm-hmm. Like it has that really fast. Um, like what is it like thirty second or sixty four, like doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo. and um, I think it's really cool. Um, on top of this plotting backbeat, you just sort of have this like floating little music box sound that's just like fluttering around like a little little bird. Yeah, you should watch the video that I sent, Matt. Um, the live performance of her playing this because she oh, cranks I forgot this to, music I forgot box in the beginning. Um. And it has like the the harp, the um, I forget her name, but the the harpist who plays on the album went on tour with her, um, and uh, I think the Matmos guys maybe went on tour with her too. There's two dudes on computers, and then there's like a orchestra. It's really good. Zena Parkins, yeah, who's apparently like. The most modern, like influential, like modern harpist apparently has like changed the instrument completely. That's interesting. I mean, this was not too long before like Joanna Newsom became pretty mm-hmm. popular. Zena Parkins is a 2019 Guggenheim Fellow. Oh. Heyo. Shout out to the Guggenheim Fellows. Where my fella is at? <laughs> I put in two thirty. I also wrote some... down two forty five for the breakdown. I put in three fifteen, so we can. Just... <laughs> Are we gonna just play the whole thing? I put thing? in three fifteen too. So okay, I thought of it first. <laughs> <laughs> somebody should somebody should give her a uh, a finger trap, but not me because I already contributed the idea. So. <laughs> Finger traps can be fun. <laughs> I like the like glitchy, like This breakdown is really cool. It's so cool. I love him. 
I love him, 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 I love him. Again, like how closely she's mic'd. Like you can just hear yeah. the like and it's, nuance in that, yeah. And it's kind of dry, like there's mm-hmm. not Yeah. Do you think she loves him? <laughs> this time. I think so. But she's gonna keep it to herself. Yeah. <laughs> um, the part where she really belts out like, I love, I fucking love that. That is so, um, and that's what I I was saying in the beginning. Like, the live version is really good because, um, of how mu- how faithful. I mean, it's. I, I was surprised by how good they did it live. I feel I've never I've never seen Bjork live, but I I wouldn't be surprised if she's the kind of artist that like live concerts are just kind of a unique experience apart from the albums. They're... Yeah, I was watching it. Um, I was like, damn, I would love to see her live, and I would love to have seen it on that at that time period. Yeah, um, but she was really good. She's a really yeah. good live singer. This this song for me is one of those where like I can't technically sing these parts even remotely close or like well at all, but it's an album that I absolutely love singing along to, which is it's like this really weird feeling where like I can't actually sing along because <laughs> it's just like, you know, it's just too technically complex for me to sing, but um, it's just so much fun to try to sing along because it's so expressive. Um, especially this like this breakdown here is just really fun. York's a good singer. Yeah, she's a very good singer. <laughs> and so at this point in the album, we're exactly halfway through, and so they give us this little interlude. Frosty. <laughs> Feeling frosty. I'm gonna dip my French fries in that. <laughs> now, very important: vanilla or chocolate frosty? Chocolate. You gotta go. There's no other choice. There's just no. There's no other real option here. Um, <laughs> there's a person in my house that doesn't like chocolate. He gets a vanilla. Frosty, but everybody else. Chocolate. My daughter, my daughter is a vanilla, goes vanilla route over chocolate, and I am I'm mm. confounded by that. I don't. I just don't. <laughs> I like. Understand. I like vanilla, um, ice cream, and I often choose it over chocolate. But when it comes to frosties, I gotta go classic. I'll, I'll, I'll agree with that too. Yeah. I would prefer vanilla ice cream over chocolate ice cream. Well, we can't be friends now. What I find interesting about this tune. Mm-hmm. is the uh, music boxes here are not the exact same sound as Pagan Poetry, but they feel like a theme and variation. Like, it's it's very similar. It has that same virtuosic, uh, like, running uh, arpeggios, and very cool because it, it comes out of Pagan Poetry, and then it has its own little own little moment for music boxes. All right, this one is Aurora. 
Sounds like she's walking in snow. with the vocals and that bassy, synthy line on there. Yeah, it's a really melodic bass line. And I, I remember when I was getting into this album and still, like, just the vocals on that, like, her vocal performance on this song is really good. I like this one. Uh... It also brings to mind that Foo Fighters has a song called Aurora that I also really like. Damn. And we just talked about them last week. Yeah. This song feels very iconic, Bjork, to uh-huh. me. It just mm. like the way her meandering vocals. Um, They're like ascending yeah. vocal. Yeah. Agree. Just, yeah. Feels very solidly Bjork. I have 130 to 155. So much passion in her voice. Her singing is is pretty undeniable. Yeah, and it's like there's this chorus of chorus of her and then she sings on top of it. It's really cool. I think the Aurora to me feels like it feels, I mean, like clearly like the sounds that that make you think walking on on snow and then mm-hmm. the imagery it does feel really dark and icy. And then we move into this, into an echo of stain. Um, and I just, it's interesting because um, it has this sort of, it opens with this sort of ominous, ominous feeling. Ooh. We've suddenly taken a turn into something a little darker that we haven't seen yet. Yeah. Was that the predator? Is predator here?
this kind of reminds me of like um a musical or something with all the like different sounds and like um setting the tone yeah i wonder i wonder when this one was written relative to uh dancer in the dark it feels cuz dancer in the dark was very musical uh-huh. um and this song i get a little bit of that same sort of feeling yeah um it's funny you mentioned predator because <laughs> well i wrote down that this song, it does it feels very ominous to me and this is a song sure. where the um the sounds i don't know what it is about the sounds but it does make my hair stand up a little on its end and then she has this line like feel your breath on your neck and i feel that and like i remember this um i went when i went to disney world there was this ride called the alien something and it was kind of like a oh right yeah that's where joe lost my hat <laughs> oh that's right alien encounter right alien encounter and right oh. then there's this moment where like the the like alien breathes on your neck and they like squirt air on your on you and i like i have that feeling of like it's so interesting because this song is so intimate but in a way that remind it I, it kind of evokes with this. a predator though <laughs> well but like <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, where like sometimes you know you're, you know, love is a two, you know, it's two individual people, and that there is sometimes unexpected tension, and you don't always know what the intent of the other person is in the relationship, and that's what feels like I get this like sense of tension of like, you feel that like, this intimacy because like again the vocals are like really upfront. And, but at the same time, you get this feeling of uneasiness. Like, how do do I trust this person? Like, I don't really know them yet. Like, how am I letting them into my life so fully? There's, I feel this like moment of like, can I trust you? Can I trust myself? Like, what's, like, what's going on here? This feeling of uncertainty. And it, for me, this song really captures that really well. It sort of reminds me of like the, forest in wizard of oz Mm. like the Mm. flying monkeys scene um where it gets lions and tigers and bears oh my it's it gets kind of like that almost in my in my imagination yeah maybe i should like get more into musicals because i really like this and i think in my head that i hate musicals um but maybe maybe i would like them the fuck (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I do like... No, dude. I mean, why do you think you hate musicals? Because I do. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. The, the, you should see, the like, conceit, Hades Town or something con- like that. The conceit of, like, hey, we're just talking, and then we burst out in a song. I'm just like, fuck off. I, I don't like mm. it. It feels very... Nobody's criticized that before. Well... <laughs> it's a, it's, I mean, it's a very common... It's, it's true for me. I mean, I just like it. It always feels very contrived, and I'm just like, yeah, I'm not really into this. Yeah, I don't like it. Yeah. No, it's a very, uh, it's a very valid opinion. <laughs> Have either of you seen the new Schmigadoon? Yeah, I watched, I watched an episode. Is it and good? I was like, this is dumb. I, That's I ha- right up my alley. Schmigadoon is it. like, 
Right up my alley. You have not seen it? I have not. But oh. I do remember liking Brigadoon. And so satire on that, yeah. Yeah. There are very specific songs parodying uh, musical songs that if you're like me and you're very familiar with certain old musicals, you'll be like, oh my gosh, this song is like a direct nod to the Kiss Me Kate song. Uh, There was one that was a Kiss Me Kate song, one that was a Music Man song. Well, on that note. (laughs) So are we on Sun in My Mouth? Sure are. Sun. boxes seems like it and this also has like a musical quality to me i think yeah with the swells and the yeah. strings and like all that yeah and uh lyrics by ee yeah. cummings this is another uh boredom song for me <laughs> God. It's like I've heard the music box. I've heard the swells. No, uh, <laughs> I, I I can see where you're coming from with that. I mean, I I try so hard to be open minded, and then we hit these lulls where I'm like, I heard it. I heard this already. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm just such a. To me, the, these moments where it's just Bjork singing like Bjork, I just I'll I'll eat them up. And so this one to me yeah. is just, it just feels, uh, she's so good. What I love about her is she does really, really well with creating moments of climax and building tension. And I just feel like this song to me is like you're climbing to the top of a mountain and then you just have this one moment where you just get to the top and you can just have a 360 degree view of the world. And then you're just like, Holy crap. How big is the world? Um, that's what I get from this song. And so I don't know, for me, it, it feels like I, I look past the like repetitiveness of it and just try to feel the imagery. But but I can I can appreciate where you're coming from. 
I like the way you explain things. Yeah, I, I think that hearing you talk about stuff makes me want to like it more and invest more in uh, in appreciating it. Um, I really like this song, but I could see where, you know, like, if I were playing some, if I wanted to tell somebody, hey, you should like Bjork, I'm going to play you a song. I wouldn't play this song. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's like, um, mm-hmm. I could see, I, I can see where you're coming from, I guess, from the feeling of like, oh, I'm getting a little bogged down. This isn't catching my interest. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because um, there's a person that I collaborate with music, uh, Jesse, and there was a moment maybe two or three years ago, and he knows how much of a Bjork fan I am, and he was like, you know, I just never could get into Bjork. And so he was like, Mm -hmm. put together a playlist for me to make me like Bjork. And I, I think this, like... I immediately came to Vespertine. It was like, I got to find stuff on Vespertine, but then quickly realized that, yeah, it's, there there are moments here where like if you're, you know, it's not easy for you Taking to get it out of context. Yeah, it's not going to feel like, um, and so, yeah, I think, I don't remember, I think I probably put um, Undo or something, or maybe. Um, I put like Heirloom. I might have put unison or or undo yeah, on it. But, I, is... but yeah, like I guess what I'm saying is like yeah, I can totally see the like if you're not already like pulled in by it, you're just going to continue mm-hmm. to get more of that and so yeah, it'll it'll fall flat. But for me, it did the I had the opposite effect. I feel like I'm just I'm so in that world. I'm like just give me more, give me more. I desperately wanted to be as open-minded as I could coming here, coming to this one, but I, it it is something I actively have to work toward. So it for me, it's like I, I just I'm, I'm I'm just trying really hard. <laughs> just trying. I'm just trying pretty hard with this one. Um, the trying, the trying. When there's a when there's a song that I'm like, oh, I don't. There's nothing really about this song that feels like it like it stands out mm-hmm. then uh yeah yeah but also i i one of the things i was thinking about last night is i think for a long time i felt like why don't i like bjork and i really want to like bjork more but i honestly feel like i don't like electronic music in any respect and like a, a couple of my favorite bands have recently started moving into electronic albums um and i like i don't like this why are you guys doing this um and it's just kind of like a, an entire genre of music i don't get like i i don't really like um so yeah it's just the way it is i mean that makes sense to me then unfortunately why this this album would feel really hard or or unapproachable because yeah. it's it's basically just vocals and electronica and early instruments and right right yeah it's pretty and it's it's yeah. pretty stripped back in terms of uh, like traditional pop of the 90s i think heirloom the next song is very catchy yeah so this song heirloom is actually um 
the music is the artist console uh their song crabcraft and bjork said that she wanted to use that song unaltered and just mm-hmm. sing over top of it so this is actually console's electronica song crabcraft um that bjork uh used as the interesting and just and crab that's really w- interesting was that um previously had that been released like as a, a okay yeah, yeah, you can. I, I actually don't know if it came out, if it was released after or before, but um, she she loved that song, I guess, and uh, requested to use it. And, nice. And so it's it's almost. I don't know if it's completely unaltered, but it's for it's like, you can go uh, go into iTunes or um, Spotify and li- search console song Crabcraft, and uh, it is the backing music for Heirloom. And this is one that I propose cool. we cover as a band. Oh, so yeah. So good tune. Think about that when you listen. I like this one. <laughs> yeah. down sounds like steam being let out out of a valve this has a refreshingly different sound and intro but now that kind of makes sense why why it sounds so different because <laughs> it's not her original composition yeah but it's cool i mean to listen to it by itself without the singing i mean i only know this song because of bjork and so it's weird to it's weird to hear it on its own because i my brain just fills in bjork singing on top yeah um, I like the song. I don't have any profound things to say. No, I I always really love this one. It's one that's like easy to easy to sing along to and Mhm. Harm of Will. Let's do it. Again, very musical musical-ish to me. Yeah, the orchestral side it feels almost like a yeah a film score. Mm-hmm. 
It was starting to sound like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood there. Dung, dung. It was like the trolley sound. I guess I guess that's just kind of like a... Is it a glockenspiel or something? The glock. Um, I... I um, that's, that's definitely a song that I think I... Since it's the la- second to last song on the album, I think I probably, especially back in the day, would skip over that one. Um, it didn't give it a ton of attention. And again, I think it's a song that like, if you're listening to it as sort of background ish or just like sing along kind of music, it's not, it doesn't catch you, but just like this week listening to it, I've been like, oh yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. Um, but yeah, it requires a lot of attention. I think. I don't know if I'm misremembering, but the last third of this album is what I remember loving the most and listening to the most, like from sun Mm. in my mouth to heirloom to harm of will to unison. These are like undo is definitely one of my favorites, but um, I actually feel like the last bit of this album is really some of my favorite. Um, So it's a little bit uh, different take. Um, Yeah, for sure. I I don't I don't know why there's just I think it's um this song in particular she does a lot of the tension building like rising up hitting that like that like dissonance and then like letting it go and it just um for me always felt like some of the most interesting vocal bits um I think an a, a, a um additional piece of context too for me is my cd had um on unison it had skips on it and unison Mm. is like fairly for this album pretty like poppy and catchy um so i think harm of will (laughs) was um was like negatively hurt by that because i would listen to heirloom and then i'd be like okay i'm done because unison you know you you'd kind of listen through Cause it's a change. It's from heirloom to harm of will to unison is like a bit of a three different kind of flavors, but I didn't have that third flavor. So I just kind of like end it. Well, let's listen to unison. Cause I think let's it's, do it. yeah, go ahead. This was one unison's one of my favorites. I think if yeah. I had to list my two favorites on the album, it's probably undo in unison. You love songs that start with UN. You know it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. the other so much on me. Stubborn me 
song's really cool it's a cool it's a cool final track yeah it leaves you with this like pleasant little little rhythm yeah i marked down three minutes and then 440 like the kind of extended ending so i don't know if you want to go to both or just go to the end but those are two points i called out Tension building here is so good. I liked that a lot. That sounded very different than the rest of the album. If I had listened to this song, I would have marked it as definitely one of my favorites. Oh, that string arrangement is just so good. That's cool. Um, and you're right the grooviness of it like that sets it apart yeah that same string arrangement from before with the vocals on top really cool oh man i think that's the only part in the entire album we get that bjork growly voice that she does didn't we hear it a little bit in pagan poetry or oh probably a little bit yeah that makes sense um but you're right that that wasn't utilized very much and it's it's so cool subdued this album yeah um but yeah that that's the kind of thing that makes my hair stand up Mm-hmm. that the Whew. vocals on that <laughs> yeah really good yeah very cool at the end there yeah the way they the like string arrangement she sings that line and then they do the string arrangement solo and then they bring them back together again is really cool and then the choir coming in like a cake song that's right that's right <laughs> yeah. just adding in all the layers yeah I'm and then serious. she's going, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> when is John McRae going to collaborate with Bjork? 
I would love to hear a Bjork song with that. <laughs> what if it just sounded right. exactly like a Bjork song, but with uh, vibra slap in every like <laughs> fifteen seconds? <laughs> oh no! <laughs> um, yeah, that's a great closer uh, for this album. Yeah, yeah. Choice. I I feel like that probably could have been a single. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I find the choice of singles a little strange for this, but, you know, she knows what she's yeah, doing. same. <laughs> well, no, I do. I, I find it. I I agree with you. I think yeah. um, Cocoon makes sense to me as a single because of its sort of, it like, you know, Joe was saying, it's like the purpose. Um, it feels very much like the theme of the, the entire album. So it makes sense as a single, even if it isn't necessarily the most mass appeal. But I would well, like Joe I said, would, the thesis. The th- <laughs> Use those those Joe words. <laughs> those are <laughs> well. I also think it's pretty clear that through this and many other aspects of her career, she just doesn't care. She's like, this is what I want to do, and yeah. it's not really her goal. Is not like I'm going to release the singles that are going to be the most that are going to pump the album sales the most. That's true. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I would also say Cocoon is kind of unlike anything people have heard. It's so intimate and so like that's pretty shocking when you first hear it. It's like, "Whoa, that's pretty yeah. unlike anything I've ever heard before." Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. What's up, B kids? You want to wrap it? You want to wrap it? I'm a wrap yeah, it. Overall thoughts, impressions? It was fun. It was fun doing a, uh, an album I had never heard. Um, but yeah, you guys know my overall feel. It takes it takes a bit for me to get there. It takes a bit for me to get in that space. Um, and this album doesn't have doesn't have quite enough songs like Unison to keep me interested because I'm a little bit more of a rocking yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're more like you like Godsmack. Yeah, like like yeah. if it doesn't sound like Godsmack, I'm I'm not as on board. Uh, <laughs> but no, no, I I did I did enjoy it, and it's very fun to hear your guys' uh, take on it too. That was very fun for me to hear. I also um, enjoy hearing your perspectives on it. Um, yeah, I just think uh, it's. It's great. I mean, I think that maybe um, I can see your perspective a little bit, Brandon. Um, but yeah, I think partially, honestly, like I'm as I get older, I feel like it's harder for me to get into things that are more challenging. But this was like perfect time for me. I got into it when I was like 19 or 20. Um, maybe younger than that. Yeah, maybe around that time so yeah i just i really like this album and and um i also think generally as we keep doing this we should listen to more things that one of us is not that familiar with um because it's it's kind of it makes for more interesting observations so i, I think it's great it's yeah. like it's like my favorite bjork album so like i said yeah, definitely mine too. I think coming back to it, I was um, it because, uh, like I said, the first couple of times I tried to listen to it uh, in preparation f- 
for today, it was hard for me to, it was hard for me to latch on because I was trying to listen to it while doing other things. And then I just had to remember that this isn't one of those albums you can, you can passively listen to and, and take away it. You have to like kind of decide to listen to it as a, as a thing and really enjoyed coming back to it in that way. Um, Bjork's one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just one other, other observation I thought was interesting. Um, just how I felt like at the time, like I said, those reviews that thought that kind of position homogenic as the more of like the revolutionary album or whatever, which I feel like now, if you listen to them, this one sounds stands apart more as like, um, out of character and, and kind of maybe more different and interesting um, from the ones that preceded it. I don't know if that holds up or how other people feel, but I just thought that was a surprising contrast to look back at those contemporary reviews um, that were kind of more blasé about it. Yeah, I'd be curious to hear like, those reviewers give it a second take knowing where the two thousands went because this Mm -hmm. came out in 2001 and like coming out of the late nineties where it was still very pop was, you know, consumed with a lot of the alternative rock and a lot of, um, guitar and bass and the real like instruments. And then the two thousands sort of transitioned into, much more of an electronic um, leaning into electronic music uh, in pop music. And I, I would be curious to know, like looking back, having known where pop music went, um, how they might review it given that lens. But all right. Well, good time. Good time. Yeah. Next week we haven't decided whether we're going to do Godsmack or stained. <laughs> Um, we could do both. We could do a comparison <laughs> podcast. I mean, I hate to commit to anything, but we have actually put together a little thing, and it might be the Mars Volta next week, if you guys are still on board with that. I'm down to do that. Whoa. I'm on board. I'm down oh, to do that. I'm yeah. on board with the Mars Volta. It'll be a good change. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be quite different than this week. But uh, I think that concludes the Bjork album. Thank you for listening. Thanks, everybody. We love you. We love you so much. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Stay frosty. (laughs) Stay frosty. Check out my walking stick I made.